morning, if this is time now for any of the younger ones, the children, if you want to come right over this way. Mrs. Wilson, I see, is going over, and Mrs. Anderson. And here we go. Thank you for you helpers that are helping out with the children today. All right. There goes friends right there. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege it is to sing your songs to you. That we could be changed and molded as we listen to the scriptures. We would ask that you'd help us today as we come to this passage. A passage that starts with a little strange and then goes on, Father, that helps us and encourages us. Would you be with us? Help us to have our heart ready to hear your word. Father, you know the many distractions that we have this day, this week, things we need to do, burdens that we have. But we would ask that now this would be time for hearing your word, that your word would penetrate our hearts, our stubbornness, that we could hear the scriptures that you've given us. Help us, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of you know, we've been working on a series in the book of Corinthians, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And in that book, we found the Apostle Paul is dealing with a church that's struggling big time. He'd spent a year and a half there discipling these people, bringing them to Christ. But the church is a wreck, and Paul has now been sending letters back and forth and dealing with it, and some things are starting to get better. But there are still struggles. And so what we have here is the Apostle Paul in this chapter, by the way, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is going to give some illustrations and pictures of what it's like when people turn away from God, when they fail to trust Him. Now, the passage that I read just a few minutes ago, it talked about that very thing, that here were the people that had seen God's miracles, who they refused to trust Him. They would not go into the land that God told them that He was giving them. And so he writes this letter to them, and he wants them to understand that when God, when we fail to understand him and we fail to understand what he's trying to do and we don't obey how difficult that can be for us and how tragic it can be for others and so our passage this morning in first corinthians chapter 10 just give a little background for those of you who were not here last week he talked again about real quickly about how dangerous knowledge is he said yep you all loved about knowledge he said but the really reality is knowledge just often leads to pride and you need to weigh from knowledge and instead to focus on love. Then he talked about idolatry really quickly, and we're not going to go back to it, but he had an important thing. He wanted to say, remember, remember all these idols that you see all around? They're not real. They don't speak. They don't walk, and they don't talk. And remember, that's where you came from as pagans who didn't know the Lord. But now you do, and we want to stay away from anything that's related with that. And he talked about the very strict monotheism. There's only one God, and that's the God we worship. And he went on to talk about for those that are weak in faith, how we have to be careful, how we as Christians at times maybe give up rights that we believe we have as believers, but we choose not to use those rights because we don't want to hurt a person who may be struggling with issues that we don't have struggles with, but they do. And he went on to talk about Paul having rights for financial support, but saying, I am due that financial support, but I won't take it. I'm not going to take your money from you. Because I don't want anybody to say, oh, he's in it for the money. And he refused to take the money. 
And then the last part, he talked about the fact that how the Lord wants us to be running the race of discipline, of serving the Lord as he calls us to. And that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you have your Bible in front of you, this passage we're going to be talking about, it really is a warning to Christians. He said a lot of things, warnings to non-Christians, but now he's talking more to people, to Christians. And he's going to start off with, I have to admit, it's an unusual illustration. It's one of those who's on first, what's on second, and what's, who's on third kind of deal. Your first time, often you read it, you go, really? Is this really true? I, I don't get it. So here it is. Now stick with me for the next few minutes. If you can stay awake for the next 10 minutes, you'll make it through the rest of it, okay? I'm not promising, I'm not putting any money on it, but I'm thinking it's going to happen. Look at this passage. Paul is writing this. Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. I'd love to say, and now we give for the Lord's goodness for this day, and we'll go on, but I'm not. We're going to try to deal with it. Notice what he's saying here. Paul is using an unusual phrase here to describe what God has done. He said, listen, I want you to know, brother, that our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, John, those kind of guys, that our brothers, they were all under the cloud. Talking about these going back to the time of the Exodus, how Israel was brought out from there and they had the cloud that they followed that showed them where they were to go. So he said, our fathers were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea, talking about how the people went through the dry land going through the ocean. And he said they were all, and here's an unusual phrase, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. In other words, he's making an illustration of what's going on there. We might say it's sometimes called a type of saying something that happened there in the past that has significance for us now. So I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, they all passed through the sea, and we're all baptized into Moses. And so he's saying, you know, here's what we had. We were all part of this at this one time. And here's what God has done for us, how, what he's cared for us. And so he goes on to say this. They, these people that were before us, they all ate, the notice this phrase, the same spiritual food. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, if you're thinking, what in the world is that all about? Don't feel bad, okay? Because it is an unusual passage. But notice what he's saying. He's, again, making an analogy of what was like for the people of Israel when they left Israel, when they went through the waters safely, when he brought them out into the wilderness and gave them water to care for them. He's making that analogy and talking about how God is working with them now. He said they all ate the same spiritual food. That is food that is not just regular food, but this is food that is, that, that, that might say, anointed by the Lord. That's what the, what, what the Lord gave us. They all drank the same spiritual food, and they all drank from a spiritual rock. In some ways, what you're going to see in this passage, he's moving towards the Lord's Supper. It's talking about the food that we eat, and he's talking about the drink that we have. Like when we come to the Lord's Supper every single week. We come, we say, we remember what the Lord has done with us. And here it's talking about here, this is not just food. It may be just crackers and wine. But the fact is, if we are with Christ and we're believers in him, it's more than just a remembrance. It's we are connected with him. 
We belong to him. We are in Christ. Paul likes to use that New Testament phrase, but here he's using it in the Old Testament sense of being connected to the Lord. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from a spiritual rock. Remember the several things when they talked about they were in the wilderness, that they found places. Remember where Moses hit the rock, and they could talk to the rock, in fact, and water came out. It's saying for that. They drank from a spiritual rock. And here's the part that we really don't quite understand, and we probably won't know till you get to heaven. And when that point happens, you won't care. But here's the point. They drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. What's interesting, if you look in the Bible, you don't find that past, you don't find that little thing being taught. But it seems it could be that long before Paul was there, he's a you know, Jewish, very good Jewish man. We know that the rabbis said that when they were talking about the people of Israel were going through the wilderness and there was a place where there was water coming out, there was at least, some people call it a legend, some people say, no, it was really real. They said, not only was that place there when they, where the water came gushing out, but saying when they moved to the next place, the place that rock moved with them and that rock provided water for them. Now, you can see why some people say, well, that sounds legendary. It's not in Scripture directly. It's not. But Paul thinks that most of his people, particularly the Jewish people, they know exactly what he's talking about, believing that that rock which braved the water was following them on their wilderness journey. And so it is a little bit odd. He doesn't make a lot out of it, but he wants to use it for part of his analogy. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. And notice where he goes with this. And that rock was Christ. He's ultimately saying, you know what, all of that we saw there, where, where God gave them what they needed with the water, that water which brought life, now he's saying that rock is now, in the one sense, like the pre-incarnate Christ, even though they didn't see Jesus, it's the fact that he was obviously aware and he was alive and well, okay? But he's, the, the fact that he goes, and that rock was Christ, saying this is what God has done for us. Now, if you're still with me at this point, you're, the rest of it is downhill all the way, so you're okay. Notice what he says. Here's the point that he wants to make. Look what I've done for you. Look how I provided for you. Look how I made sure you had everything you needed. But then he says in verse 5, But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the desert. I don't know why Paul says some of them, when he said some of them were struck down, because it's like they all were struck down except for the two guys we just mentioned. In other words, he's saying, okay, you refused to go into the land that I told you to go. I told you I would be with you. I would told you I would make sure you would win this battle. You will not do it, and you would not do it. And so because of that, here's what's going to happen. You're all going to die in the wilderness. We're going to let an entire generation walk around going basically nowhere until you're all dead. And then I'll start again with a new generation that's willing to follow me. He said, but God was not pleased with most of them, for they struck down in the desert. And he says, now notice this important phrase, verse 6. Now these things became examples for us, so we will not desire evil as they did. We'll talk about this more in just a few minutes, but please notice what he's talking about there. He's saying, you ought to be learning from what happened there. One whole generation. Suppose, I know, there's some terrible virus came through the world which is not impossible, impossible, but it killed an entire generation. Can you imagine what that would be like? What did they experience? One whole generation who'd experienced God's mercy and God's power 
all they did was basically walk around in circles until everyone's dead. And he says, you need to be able to use that as an example. So you won't desire it as they do. Gordon Fee is one of the top New Testament scholars. Uh, and he talks about how important this is. He talks about how what, he, what Paul is just talking about here is so significant. He's talking about when you see what God is doing here through the Apostle Paul, he talks about Paul's understanding of the Old Testament as Christian scripture and of the churches of people God in the New Age. He's saying, we're seeing this new thing. We're moving from the Old Testament to the New. He's making a point that we're now coming to this New Age. Not, we're not doing New Age in the goofy thing. The new sense, the good sense of that. And he's saying, the people of the New Age. But the point of all this must not be missed. Now notice what he says here. Just as God did not tolerate Israel's idolatry, so he will not tolerate the Corinthians. We deceive ourselves if we think he'll tol tolerate ours. In other words, we don't like passages of warning, but sometimes we need it. If somebody's telling you, you know, your house is on fire, I don't want anybody to tell me anything about it. Well, you ought to probably know because your house is on fire. Oh, okay, then you do something about it. His point is here. You better be careful to make sure you understand what's going on here. Notice what he says in verse 9. Don't become idolaters, as some of them were written. Then he quotes from the Old Testament. The people sat down to eat and to drink, and they got up to play. Again, he's going to the book of Numbers again. How the people once turned, they turned away to God, and God had, was going to bring judgment on them. Then it goes on in verse 8. He says, let us not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and on a single day, 23,000 people fell dead. Again, quoting back from the book of Numbers. He goes on to say, let us not tempt Christ, as some of them did, who were destroyed about by snakes. Again, going back, book of Numbers. Nor should we complain of some of them who did and were killed by the destroyer. We don't know exactly what he means by destroyer. We know when the, you know, Pharaoh went and let the people go and he finally did. It was the angel of death. It may be that kind of sense, something that went through and killed a lot of people. His point is, God will not, God will not tolerate our sin. At times where he's so gracious, but there's times enough is enough. And so he's now, notice this phrase, now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as a warning to us on whom the end of the ages have come. That's an interesting phrase. He said, whom the end of the age has come. In other words, it's going back to this idea of the fact of the kingdom. The kingdom is here, partially. We don't see the lamb lying down with the lion lying with the lamb at this point. We're waiting for the fullness of the kingdom when Jesus comes back in power and glory. But he tells us that we already now, we're in the kingdom, waiting for the fullness of the kingdom. And what he's saying now, these are examples for us on whom the end of ages come. You are a privileged people. Your people have seen this thing that you've been longing for your generation after generation. It's here. It's now. And God is going to bring it when he returns in power and glory. And says, therefore, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. And then this is probably the most well-known verse in 1 Corinthians. Paul's just telling you how dangerous it is. You've got to be careful. You don't want to be like these people. Do you see how it happened to them? And then he comes right back and says, you know what? This doesn't happen to happen to you. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tempted before what you're able, but with the temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape so you're able to bear it. It's a great phrase, a big passage. He's saying, so easily we fall off the track. 
So easily we move into sin. And yet we don't have to do that. By the power of the Holy Spirit, now we're living in this new age, in the best sense of the term that God has given us. We have, the Lord will give us the strength to say no to the temptation, that which we know was opposed to what God would want for us. Now notice what he says there in verse 11. He comes swinging back again and again, bringing this back to idolatry, because that was their central issue of a problem. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking as wise people. Judge for yourself what I say. Then here is the phrase that most is significant with the Lord's Supper. It is here in chapter 10 and chapter 11 that we read the most about the Lord's Supper. And this is a very, very important passage. And it's a passage, unfortunately, that many of us have read it so many times. We've heard so many sermons. So many people talk about it. We're kind of going, hmm, yeah, been there, done there, got the, you know, got the pizza, that kind of day. You move on down the road. But think about this passage. He now starts off this way saying, I want you to understand what this means to be in relationship with God. He starts off this way. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? He's asking these questions. He obviously knows the answer. By the way, notice what he says. There. The cup of blessing, it's the word eulogia. We get the word eulogy from it. That has more of a sense of like when somebody had died. This is more the idea of blessing, thanksgiving. Is it not the cup of eulogia, the, the thanksgiving, the blessing we have that we bless? Is it not a, and here's another word, Greek word that came into our, angle, our language, is it not a koinonia? Koinonia means a sharing. It's that idea that when you come into relation with God, when you're at that table, if you come into him recognizing that you've sinned, but you have found salvation in Christ, and that you recognize the fact that as far as you know, that you're doing what God is calling you to do, when you come to that table, you are connected with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? He's not on the table, but he's here with us at the table. And we are joining him. It's a, it, the picture, of course, we see from the Old Testament is the idea of the fact of the meal. Of course, taking them back to the Passover. Jesus said he longed to be with them. Like, really? They're going to run. Leave you. But he wanted to be with them that for that last time. Whether he's connected with them. They're connected with him. And he's saying, that's what you do. Every time you come to that table... And you come to him and you say, you know this cup of blessing that we bless? Isn't it not a sharing, a coin and knee in the blood of Christ? Are you not connected to the very life of Jesus? The bread that we break, is it not a coin and knee, a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, and we who are many are one body. For all of us share coin and knee again, that one bread. His point is saying the privilege we have of being connected with Christ. John Calvin was the one who probably did the best in trying to help us articulate what's saying. He's saying it's about, people say, well, you know, it's, it's all about uh, remembering. That's true. We do that every week. We come to remember what he did. But he said it's more than that. It's like Jesus is inviting us to come to that table. Have a seat here. Sit next to me. Let me, let, maybe, let me share with you what God is doing for you. And he's telling them, this is what this means. This is why it ought to be so significant for us when we come to the table. Let's go on real quick when he says here. He said, look at the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in what is offered, offered on the altar? 
Israelites they had different kinds of sacrifices. One of them was when they had the sacrifice, part of it was burned up, part of it was given to the priest, and part of it was sometimes given to the family, the person who had the meat. Some of them were called Holocaust ones, where everything was burned up. Nobody got anything out of that other than God when that smoke went up. Okay? But here he's talking about, do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in what they're offered on the altar? That's usually what happens. What I'm saying then, that food offered to an idol is anything? Paul said, no, they're not. They're not real. No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not God. He's saying, you've got to be very careful here. Now, many of us immediately blow that off and say, yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's 2,000 years ago. It's not the way it is today. We ought to be careful not assuming that. Notice what he says. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we stronger than he? He's warning us, saying, do you understand what this when we come, we come as much as we can. We confess our sin to the Lord. We come to him as much as we know that we've cleansed by his blood, that we recognize that we cannot defile that. We have the privilege of being with him. Now notice what he says. He takes a quote that we saw even last week. He said, everything's permissible. Now we have freedom in Christ. He said, Paul says, yeah, but not everything's helpful. There may be things that you have the freedom to do as a Christian doesn't mean you shouldn't do because you've got a person who's going to struggle. He said, what? Everything's permissible, but not everything builds up. No, you should be making sure that you're encouraging people, not bringing them down by the freedoms that you have. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. And then here he makes an amazing statement. Do we forget that he's a great Jewish guy who studied the scriptures until he was like kicked out, basically? But he says this, eat everything that's sold in the meat market, asking no question for conscience sake. It's kind of like don't ask, don't tell kind of thing we had back with the previous president kind of thing. But it's kind of like here making the point, you know what, you know, don't ask about it. And, but here's this phrase that's so important, for the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. When God created the creation, he said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was really good. And he's saying, this is a good creation. It's a creation that has been spoiled and wrecked by mankind, but the creation is still good. And he's saying, you know what? Eat what you want because the earth is the Lord's and that in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, well, eat everything that's before you. I can't, it's hard to imagine a Jewish guy saying that. Is it kosher? Did you have a rabbi do it? He's like, don't ask, okay? Eat everything that's set before you without raising questions of conscience. But notice this next phrase. But if someone says to you, this meat is offered to an idol, don't eat it. Out of consideration for the one who, did, who, who told you and for conscience sake. I do not mean your own conscience, but the person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanks, why am I slandered? Because of something I give thanks for. Therefore, and here's this important phrase that Calvin loved. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, do everything for God's glory. Whenever you're making a cake, do it to God's glory. If you're fixing the car, do it to God's glory. His point is, what we have, we give to him and honor to him. He says, go and give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please all people, all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Now let's stop for just a question a minute here and just focus on this. He's making an important point. 
couple things to think about. First, this passage reminds us again how important it is that we continue to read and understand in the Old Testament. It is a tragedy going across America where fewer and fewer Christians study the Old Testament. Well, it's long. It is. It's boring. At times, I, I hate to say that word, it seems boring. It seems repetitive. It is repetitive at times. I can't remember all the names. You don't have to know all the names. But the point is, it's saying this. When Jesus talks about the scriptures, he's not talking about the New Testament that we read. He's talking about the Old Testament. He believed that truly that was God's word, God's inerrant word, and that God had given them that opportunity to be able to know God. And it's very, very important because we're seeing a shift away from focusing on understanding the Old Testament to learning the New. And we can't give that up. He said, now these things became examples for us so that we won't desire evil as they did. Again, it's a warning. Be careful you don't fall. By the way, notice this. I saw this when I was going through looking for like an illustration. Like, what's a, a very short little illustration that you could say that says something about the Old Testament? This is not great, but it's better what I could come up with. This guy wrote this. Listen, the Old Testament shows his, God's patient, his plan and his personality. It presents a stunning 4,000-year-old illustration of the unfaithfulness of man and our desperate need for a savior. The Israelites were not merely an ancient people who lived far away. They were humans, chosen by God, but prone to, prone to stray, just like us. In them, we see our need for Jesus. And in the God of the Old Testament, we see the loving the holy, loving Christ who came in the New Testament to restore us to himself. It's short, but it's good. That's the Old Testament, and we need to continue to make sure that it's part of our regular reading and our understanding. One last thing I want you to focus on. You might be thinking, what's the point of talking about today? I mean, what are the chances that your neighbor next door is going to get an oxen and put them on the Weber grill this afternoon? It ain't going to happen, okay? But that does not mean that, I'm sorry? Oh, your neighbor would do that? <laughs> Thank you for giving me a sermon illustration. You, you can get, was it an ox or was it a cat? No, no, don't ask. Okay. But notice this. I, I mean, let me be honest. Let me be serious for a minute. You know, we, many of us are for Richardson. Richardson is very, very multicultural and getting even more that way. And you would say, you know, what I mean, nobody around here is going to have a sacrifice. Probably no in our neighborhood will have a burnt offering. Some might, but some of the time you can have offerings that are not necessarily burned. It can be just a small token, a small thing that's given. And Paul is saying, you need to be careful. Remember, he said, listen, the place is wide open. You can have all you want. But when it comes to dealing with something that is clearly an idolatry kind of thing, you can't have anything to do with this. It's interesting, that is the one major basic thing that comes out of his old thing, saying, if you know, and they tell you, this is meat that's been in any way offered to an idol, you don't take it. Even if you're hungry, don't touch it. It's interesting, I was thinking about this, and I thought, who could I ask about this for some questions, some help? And I thought, what about John Stanley's father, who lives in India, where that is a big issue? And so I sent him an email, thank God for email, I sent him an email, 
And I asked him, tell me a little bit what your th thoughts are on this. And he sent a very long one. He spent a lot of time in it, obviously, Paul Sudakar. He sent a thing and said, said to answer my question. He said, in India food, excuse me, in India food offered to idols often has demonic influence and some have opened the way to the evil one to infiltrate their lives. Sometimes well-meaning friends offer food to us after sacrificing to their gods or devils and we politely refuse the food. So we, we, you know, we're not trying to be rude, but we're not going to have that food. We don't want it. He goes on to say this. We, this both my wife Miriam and myself, we worked in an Islamic institution nearly 14 years. I don't know if you're aware of that. He had a job working at an Islamic place for 14, almost 14 years before he came to full-time ministry. Friday is a holy day for them, for the Muslims, and Sunday is for us. He said, often we used to have staff dinners and whole day retreats, like, you know, with the Muslims, he said. And um, he said, we consistently refused to participate all those years we lived with them. Initially, they were a little offended, but by the passage of time, uh, the time grew in appreciation of our principles. I thought that was interesting that he would share that with us. He's saying, you know, 14 years, we could have said, you know, after 14 years, we ought to be able to just get along with these people and say, no, if this is being not offered to Jesus, we're not taking it. And to his credit, he says he never has and won't. Now this comes into a question about what about the neighbor next door, which maybe you are trying to witness to. Maybe you are trying to have a relationship. And I hope that's true. But it may become a time when you have to ask the question, do you mind me offering you know, what this is or what meat or what this is about? Because there's one thing that Paul is clear about. He's saying you cannot have anything to do with that with people knowing that this is forbidden. Now, that may never happen to anyone here, but the way our country is growing and the way our culture, even in Richardson, is growing, there may be times when you may have to ask a hard question saying, you know what, I, I, I'm, I really love you and I'd really love to maybe have lunch with you, but I'm nervous about, can you tell me who, who made this and who and why? That may be hard. We may have some people that are not happy with us about it. He didn't call us to be happy. He called us to be faithful. And we pray that God would give us wisdom when there are opportunities like that to graciously speak when we can, but at times to, to graciously bow out and say, you know, I really would rather not to eat that. That comes with following the Lord. Lord, we want to thank you for this passage this morning. We realize it is a hard one, but we thank you that it reminds us again that, Father, we see how the people of God who were given so much, who had so much to experience, who saw your hand again and again and again, we saw how they turned away from you. Father, don't let us turn away, we pray. Pray that our hearts would be geared to you. And we pray now as we come to the table that, Father, we would not be just doing this as one more rote thing to do but we would see this koinonia in the best sense of a connectedness with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ who are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, be with us now. Prepare our hearts, we pray. Amen.